What makes a property successful is you have to do the market research. Each market's going to be a little bit different, but within each market, even each zip code or neighborhood is going to be very, very important to understand. Just because you invest in Nashville, Tennessee or Austin, Texas, doesn't mean that it's going to be a killer rental just because it hasn't right. in the city. One pocket of the city could have way stronger demand than a pocket two zip codes over. And you may not know that unless you look at information on AirDNA or a similar site that captures that type of information and do your research on comps. And secondly, what types of properties, or amenities, things like that are bringing in a higher occupancy rate and a higher, you know, a larger demand for a higher daily rate. Well, I'm excited to welcome in Mr. Michael Elefante. How are we doing, brother? Doing well, doing well. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. So first and foremost, you're a new dad. How is, you know, the balance between building your, you know, B&B empire and all the great stuff that you got going on in your kind of short-term and hospitality space, uh, as well as being a new father? It's the balance isn't too bad. You know, I mean, some days I'm busy, some days I'm not. But uh, the whole lifestyle I wanted to get into before having a, a kid, my wife and I agree, we wanted the time freedom aspect. So we achieved that, which has been a blessing. We're both home every day. I work up in my office, you know, a decent amount of hours. But for the most part, we're just watching her grow every day and, and getting through the, the sleep regression here at four months. So that's been a little tough. But other than that, it's been wonderful. Man, I remember those days, you know, you think... uh you think you're in a nice little rhythm and then all of a sudden they throw <laughs> they throw a curveball at you, right? <laughs> yeah. We had three nights in a row of eight hours of sleep and I was like, we have arrived. Yeah. And, uh, and then it was like... Celebrated was too soon. Yeah. She's like, you thought, dad. Yeah. She's like, but you thought, you thought, you thought wrong. Yeah. So maybe we can talk a little bit about your, obviously we're going to dig in today on, you know, the Airbnb empire and community and all the amazing things that you're building and, and doing right now. But like, where, where did this start for you? Cause I know, you know, many people who get started on their entrepreneurial journey, right? It's, it's the lifestyle. It's the, the freedom of time of, you know, finances, um, and really just breaking free of kind of that, that rat race and hospitality Airbnbs has become this new kind of vehicle that has really not only allow people to do that, but do it in a really fun and exciting and lucrative way. So I know we're going to dig into that, but like, where did this journey begin for you, brother? For sure. My wife and I both grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, I played baseball through college at Elon University. So college athlete, it's where I poured all my effort and time into. Uh, and towards the end of college, I, I had a redshirt year I could opt and use for come back for a fifth year, but I graduated with a finance degree and I was hoping to get drafted. Didn't ultimately. Um, Probably, probably for better, for the better. But um, I was looking for jobs or a part-time job to, until I made up my mind to come back to school. And I was working a sales gig for a startup company, awful product, and I was pre-selling it door to door in South Florida in like 100 degree weather. And I didn't make a single sale that summer. So I was like, All right, I got to at least make some money to pay for like the day-to-day -day stuff, right? Gas, food, you know, roof over my head. So I. I applied to like 15 different jobs. I had background in like waiting tables and all that good stuff. The only two companies that interviewed me out of like the 20 I applied for was Chipotle and Dunkin' Donuts. That's why <laughs> I resulted a finance degree from Elon University. Didn't make it to Chipotle. Made it to the final round of interviews. They hired a high school kid. And then uh, Dunkin' Donuts uh, hired me for like 7.35 an hour or something like that. So here I am, 5 in the morning, pouring coffees for 7 bucks an hour. And then working a dead-end sales gig, more or less like an internship in the afternoon, um, decided to come back for a fifth year of baseball. Fast forward, graduated, got um, an entry-level role, business development representative, cold calling, 70 to 100 calls every single day um, for a tech company. 
no idea what I was selling, right? Um, and I was just like, this is it. I've arrived, you know, making 35k a year. It seemed like big money at the time. Um, and after like a few months in, I just I was already burnt out. I know that sounds bad for a lot of people out there that are like really hustling for multiple years, but for me, I was like, I feel numb driving home for work. I was not excited. Making more money like almost didn't even excite me anymore. But I was like, this is what everyone does. You gotta put your, you know, put your head down, grind it out. So I worked my way, I got a promotion, changed jobs twice, got a job at Google doing inside sales for them, got a job at Extreme Networks doing outside sales for another tech company. Um, and the same thing happened. A little bit of lifestyle creep. Um, started to make a lot more money, but I didn't bring me happiness. So I was like, I need time freedom. My wife and I both agreed. Let's figure out how to invest some of this money that we've saved up into a vehicle that will pay us monthly cash flow and allow us to go travel. That's what we love to do. So that's all we wanted to do is travel. Before we had kids, we wanted to have our time back. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. So we looked at tons of different options, right? I looked at Crypto, stocks, real estate. Real estate, the only thing that made tangible sense, in my opinion. Um, and we had moved from Dallas to Austin and then finally to Nashville. So they did a couple Airbnbs and I just started to do the math on, like, so on a spreadsheet. I'm like, they're charging this much per night. They're booked about this much every month. And their mortgage is probably only around this. I was like, they got to be crushing it. So it's like, why isn't everyone doing this then? So I just started to run numbers on a bunch of random properties. Finally, just built up the courage to buy one. And in the third month, we were set to cash for like seven grand. I was like, this is nuts. Um, then COVID hit. Um, so that, a lot of our cancellations happened, which is fine. I was like still full steam ahead. We liquidated our IRA and our 401k to acquire the second. You guys were all in. We were all in. Two feet, head first, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Had two and then ultimately saved up for a third. So we got three in the first year. Um, and then travel was still kind of wonky in Nashville. Those were our first two were. Next one, next two were actually in Gatlinburg, and every all the travel pivoted to the rural areas. Um, so things started to go really well. And then when travel came back to the city, uh, we had hit financial freedom in like eleven months after our first ever investment, and we were like, "Holy crap, this is this is insane!" Let's say let's get one more, got our fourth, and then we'll quit our jobs. So got our fourth, did a, did a big one, split that one fifty fifty with a partner, um, and then everything came full steam ahead in Nashville and Gatlinburg. So we're traveling in a camper van for the next year, which is nuts. And in like the fourth month in our camper van, we're working like two hours a week from our phones, you know, uh, you know, doing hikes, all sorts of stuff. 
And we were we cash flowed over fifty thousand dollars in four properties in July of 2021. I was like, this is nuts. I was like slaving over my job, being miserable, and not even making this much money. So that was like the most eye-opening experience. So did the camper van thing for a while, acquired two more properties down in South Florida. Um, then she got pregnant. Um, and which you know was planned. We were trying for a few months. Ended up saying, all right, we got to get a bigger van or a house. So chose a house <laughs> near Greenville, South Carolina, settled down. Um, and now we just bought our seventh, which will be like over the top amenities experience wise. That's kind of what we focus on, which I'm sure we'll get into. And then we arbitrage one other unit. So this will be our eighth, our eighth short term rental. So that's our bread and butter. Um, and then over the over the course of the past couple of years, started posting on social media, just sharing my experience, trying to help other people. That developed into several other lines of business as well. Uh, so it's just been kind of a whirlwind uh, of a couple of years, but just along for the ride, enjoying every single day um, and just living it up. Dude, that's amazing, man. I mean, so many things to unpack there, right? Because I think, you know, unless somebody's been living under a rock, if you're an entrepreneur and you've been looking at how do I, you know, different ways of making money, Airbnb is hands down one that has become a very popular topic. What do you say to the people that feel like it's too late? Is Airbnb dying or is it still a blue ocean with plenty of opportunity to take advantage of? It definitely depends market to market. You know, I mean, there's tons of opportunity out there. People will never stop traveling. I think Airbnb and, uh, you know, short term rentals in general will get continue to get more competitive. Um, But for my advice for anybody getting started, compete on value and experience, don't compete on price because the days are, dwindling down to where, hey, you can get a cheap rental, bare bones as cheap as possible, and you're going to do quite well. The profit margins are getting a little bit thinner there. Um, the real money is to be made if you can provide an awesome experience. And Airbnb um, experiences, right? I mean, they even show that on all their commercials. That's where they're focused on marketing anyway, is cool pool properties, cool cave properties, cool this or that. So as long as you can compete on value and still be among, you know, capture the demand at the top 20, 25%, um, the bottom 50%, I think, will struggle over the long term. Um, but yeah, there's still tons of money to be made for sure. So talk a little bit about that. Like when you know we're addressing a certain group of people that may have you know made purchases or investments or thought that just because you know they're putting it up on Airbnb, it's going to be profitable, right? But there's somewhat of a formula that you're talking about here that kind of you know certain you know, criteria around a potential investment opportunity that could, you know, meet all of the requirements for a successful Airbnb. Talk about some of the ones that, you know, aren't successful. Maybe we start there of what types of properties should you maybe avoid or areas or things in a potential either analysis of a property or something that you're thinking about, you know, Airbnb. Yeah, for sure. I guess it's just it's more or less what makes a property successful, and it's just the opposite of where people will struggle. But what makes a property successful is you have to do the market research. Each market's going to be a little bit different, but within each market, even each zip code or neighborhood is going to be very, very important to understand. Just because you invest in Nashville, Tennessee, or Austin, Texas, doesn't mean that it's going to be a killer rental just because it has it right. in the city. One pocket of the city could have way stronger demand than a pocket two zip codes over, and you may not know that unless you look at information on AirDNA or a similar site that captures that type of information and do your research on comps. And secondly, what types of properties or amenities, uh, things like that are bringing in a higher occupancy rate and a higher, you know, a larger demand for a higher daily rate. Um, and then similarly, if you don't have a property with a view of the city or a view of a mountain or lake, or you can't walk 
you're not walking distance to the, the main attraction they're there for. Or if it's more of a destination place, like what experience can you provide? Is it a water feature like a pool or a hot tub? Is it killer design? Is there like a photo moment there that people are willing to spend extra for a special occasion like a bachelor or bachelorette party? If you're just going bare bones, like hotel style, hey, I'm just going to provide a property. It's in an okay location and it has the basic, it has a bed and a pillow and a TV in the living room. That's where people are going to struggle. But if you get it super dialed in to... This is where demand is looking for and the demand that is willing to spend the extra amount of money per night for this experience. And here's the criteria. If you can get it super dialed in, that's where you'll be ultra successful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's kind of the two different things that I look at as well in terms of I think everything you said was spot on. And it's, you know, I think there's certain people that just think that because they can buy a property and put it on Airbnb, all of a sudden, they're going to get a great ROI, and they're going to get three times as much as their mortgage. And that's not always the case, right? Versus because then then at that point, you really have to make your property very desirable and become an actual destination that people just aren't going there, you know, for a vacation or for a specific reason, right? Versus I know you invest and I invest in a lot of leisure markets where people are going there for a specific reason, they're going there year round. And then how do you right? ultimately create and design an experience around the customer that is something that not only the location is going to pull them in for, but now your property is pulling them in for. What are some of the risks that new investors need to be aware of that they don't think about when going into Airbnb? I know a lot of people romanticize how amazing Airbnb you know, and hospitality investments are. And then when they get into it, if you thought, you know, real estate investing in general was passive, let alone Airbnb is passive, you got a, you know, a, a pretty hard wake up call coming your way. So what are some of the things in terms of due diligence and, you know, preparation you recommend new investors be aware of or do their research on? Definitely local laws and regulations in your specific market. They differ city to city, county to county. Yeah. Uh, but the last thing you want to do is go into a place that is very aggressive uh, on changing their rules kind of overnight, or if they already have rules in place, you want to make sure you're zoned appropriately to uh, obtain a non-owner occupied rental permit or tourist residency permit, whatever they call Each market calls it something different. Um, the other thing you need to think about is, I mean, Airbnb, you're in hospitality. It's not just real estate uh, with short-term vacation rentals. So there's a whole other side to it. Now, now, the beauty of it in today's age is you can't automate a lot with technology, but you cannot fully automate it unless you hire a VA or multiple VAs, or you pass it off to the property management team. Yep. Um, so there's some caveat to that. I'm a big propo- proponent of self-managing when you first start out until you scale to multiple properties, because you know why pay 20 to 30% if you have an extra couple hours a week to manage and communicate with guests when needed? Um, like you might as well save that money. It'll help reinvest faster. But once you get to a certain point, yeah, I mean, it, it, it will creep into your schedule. And all of a sudden, you're like, man, I feel like this is more of a headache than, than not. It'll still be worth it most of the time, but that's the biggest thing. And then the other thing you have to think about is in terms of cash flow, you have to be very certain, like you have to be very conservative in your forecasting, in my opinion. A lot of people only look at like 2021's data when they bought in 2022 in a market like the Great Smoky Mountains when demand was so high and the yep. supply could not simply keep up. And even I had a property there. And I mean, it was ridiculous the type of numbers we were doing. So if you were banking on, the highest peak of demand, average daily rates and occupancy to, to forecast what you're going to do in years to come. That's where you're going to run into trouble because 
you may do well in the next year, but all of a sudden as it gets more competitive, like your numbers start to taper off a little bit. You want to be in a market where the numbers go up over time, hopefully. So that's where I think people can get in a little bit of trouble. But yeah, it's definitely on the on the back end. It's like you have to have your system super dialed in with your cleaners, maintenance, all the tech, um, automate as much as possible because ultimately that's what in, will enable you to scale um, faster. Because if, if you don't, I mean, you're, it's definitely could be another job. Yeah, I always tell people like you're, you're getting into a business. It's not just an asset that you own and you know you collect a check once a month. It's a real living, breathing organism with people coming in and out of it all the time on the customer side. But then you also have the back end management side, right? Of, you know, coordinating cleaners, inventory management, maintenance and asset management. It's a real business that requires real systems. Talk about, you know, what is your kind of criteria for this is a go? I like this asset. I like this market. You know, what is, you know, uh, a buy box for Michael in terms of a great, you know, STR um, or hospitality asset? Yeah. So I'll just break it into two different markets. For me, urban markets, which I have properties in. So like uh, a Nashville, for example, just because I, I lived there for a while, I have properties there. Uh, I want a growing population that has increasing level of investment across the board. Um, and the more people that are, are moving to a place, the more businesses that are coming, there's just more reasons that people need a, a furnished rental for either on a short or midterm level. Um, so that that just kind of supports the investment, not just from a cash flow perspective, but also from just a, like a longevity or long term hold um, and asset appreciation over time. Uh, you, if you're in a market that's as that's declining in population and there's an increase in supply and less in demand just for housing in general, that's where you might be a little more stagnant on the appreciation standpoint. Um, but for vacation markets and similar to urban markets as well, I look for how can I stand out? Are there properties that are already doing? numbers at or above what I'm hoping to be doing with a similar size property. Because if there's not, then I don't want to say just because I deck this one out of amenities, I can't expect to do 2x what the top performing property is doing in that market. The demand might not simply be there for it. So for me, uh, I just bought a property in North Carolina mountains and I wanted to have like go all out with the amenities. I wanted it to be a destination. I want to, you know, so any amenity that we can have that either others have already proven that works, like a theater room or a game room, something like that. And then what can I add that nobody else has? So, you know, as as we've scaled and grown bigger, our our income's grown, we're able to invest a little bit more and kind of target these experiences. And I'd rather get one big property than three average size properties with the same level of cash flow. Because as we were talking about before, I'd rather manage one property right. than three properties with the same ROI. So for this one, it's it's gonna we're gonna have like a sport court, basketball, pickleball court, like a five hole putt putt course, theater room, game room, like the whole nine yards. So we're able to differentiate, and and again, we live in a digital age. So I, it's no different than social media for me. If I can't capture your attention in two seconds and earn a click, say, hey, I want to learn more about Matt's property. I want to learn more about Michael's property. You never even have a chance to get through five photos on the splash page, and then the rest of your fifty or seventy five photos, however many you have, to sell yeah. them on the property. Yeah. So. You really have to set yourself up to at least get someone's attention. So talk, talk a little bit about what you've mentioned, some of them kind of in passing, but what are some of the amenities, whether it's basic, right, bedding, pillows, or it's some of the, the upgrades, right, and kind of the experiences? What are some of the things that you've seen the greatest ROI on in terms of investment? And what are some of the things that you're um, you know, thinking about or, or rolling into maybe some of these newer properties that you're working on? Yeah, I think some of the the basic. I mean, think about what most people don't have at home. 
that they're willing to pay pay for on a vacation to experience outside of their own home. Hot tub. Most people don't have a hot tub. Most people don't have a game room or a theater room. Um, most people don't have like an outdoor fire pit and an awesome grill area, a pool. So if you can provide, you know, there's a reasons why people visit certain markets like South Florida or Scottsdale, Arizona. People want a pool or a heated pool to go just be in the sun. Um, a lot of people from like Canada or up north go down to those types of markets, right? Um, on the other side is like pickleball or, you know, a putt-putt course or something like that. That's a little bit more out there that the vast majority of properties, like 99.9% of properties do not have those types of amenities. So if you can think of something that's a not outlandish, but just way more out there, like a home gym um, that just provides like a, uh, an experience that someone's like, hey, I'm going to vacation to that property because I want a vacation at that property. I don't even have to worry about leaving. I'll have such a good time. Those types of things where you could just pack it full of, of those things would, would kind of take it over the top for me. In terms of operations, you know, the, I think the biggest challenge that people always note is, you know, whether it's housekeeping or maintenance, you know, having the right team, the right hands on board, unless you're that person that's going to be doing it all yourself, which ideally, if you're going to be scaling, you can't. Um, how do you go about building out your team? Yeah, first and foremost, you need uh, A plus cleaners and don't be cheap on cleaners. Like I always encourage people, uh, tip your cleaners. You know, you could charge a little more on the Airbnb fee, but tip them if for a good job because cleaning reviews are going to be the most thing that are going to be most detrimental to your listing. But yep. you need good cleaners to also be your eyes on your property. They're going to be in it more than anyone else in in the world, right? They're going to be in it more than you, more than any guest. I mean, consistently throughout the year. Um, so you need them to communicate well, but also be willing to adopt tech if they don't already in their in their business to automate the scheduling. So use. Turnout, turnout is now what it's called. Turnover BNB just changed their name to turnout or resort cleaning to automate schedule syncing between all the different platforms of your property management software and them. So they know exactly when to show up, what to do. Um, and everything is very well detailed, inventory checklist. Um, and it's even better if they also have a maintenance branch to where they could schedule maintenance on your behalf. Um, so that way, like those are the two biggest things, cleaning and maintenance, I would say. Where do you find these individuals? So... Cleaners, usually word of mouth, uh, then will result to looking on Turno. Um, you actually, it's kind of like Airbnb. They have like super cleaners. Uh, so you can put out a bid and you could see who bids on your property, what price they, they bid at, what their reviews are from other hosts. That's helpful. Um, or you could also just look on Facebook groups, on Craigslist. You could put out a job posting or just Google you know, local cleaners in the area. And I would recommend interviewing several. You want to find ones that have done short-term rentals before, or that's their primary line of work. Um, and they have an operation pretty dialed in at that point. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network 
and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast. And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's my first 50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Now, there's tons of different prop tech that's kind of come into play now, which has made it awesome from a, a management perspective. Uh, we get all kinds of questions all the time of what are your favorite PMS systems and what are your favorite inventory management? How do you find so what are, what are some of your kind of go-to platforms and softwares that have really you know helped streamline your business? Yeah, on the operations side, uh, I use Guest Deeper Host for the past three years now, Guest Deeper Pros, and we'll be moving to uh, actually track for my property management company. Uh, but Guest Deeper Host is, is probably my favorite entry-level uh, property management software. Uh, a lot of my clients will also use Hospitable, which is pretty solid, great UI. Um, most of them do the same basic level functions, right? They sync your calendars, they can sync direct booking site, they can communicate with cleaners, you can, you know, just basically have it all in one place, one single mm-hmm. pane of glass for guest communication and, and calendars and whatnot. Um, and it will also communicate with a pricing tool, which is the next the next biggest thing. Um, I've used Price Labs in the past. I really like Wheelhouse as well. They're doing some really, really cool things, um, leveraging uh, machine learning, AI, and being able to dynamically like really get your pricing dialed in based on what the market's at. Um, so that's been super helpful, especially as you scale. But the, the biggest mistake I see people make is not leveraging dynamic pricing tools like Price Labs mm-hmm. or Wheelhouse because they're like, oh, I just have one property. like I can control it. I'm like, you're probably walking past ten dollars to $20,000 a year because you're not using pricing the correct way. Um, you're, you can use that tool to make sure you're getting the top, top dollar for peak demand days. And then you're also not being overpriced by $25 or $50 or $100 a night on lower demand days. And you could drastically boost your occupancy by scooping up those low demand days just by bringing your pricing down to a certain price point. So those are the two biggest tools. And then I mentioned turnover B&B or turnout and uh, resort cleaning. Yeah, I, I would echo that one. Once we started implementing dynamic pricing in all the hotels, I mean, it it drastically bumped up our our occupancy and our overall you know net bottom on our bottom line, which was which was phenomenal because you don't realize, you know, the the human error of just not being on top of this stuff every single day, there's stuff that slips through the cracks. And like mm-hmm. you said, that could that could result in 10, 20 grand, which, you know, depending on if you're a single family, or if you're a commercial asset, you know, 10 or 20 grand, you know, drop to your bottom line, you know, divided by whatever cap rate your property's trading for, that's a significant amount of value you're leaving on the table or you're pumping in and capturing, you know, in your property. So I love that you brought that up because I think a lot of people often overlook like what is dynamic pricing? I can set the calendar myself. I'm not going to pay that monthly fee for that. But that market knowledge is is critical and oftentimes worth a lot of money. Yeah. What do you guys use for your hotels for dynamic pricing? Uh, we use Cloudbeds. They have something called Pi that's built in um, to their their software. So it's more of a... It, you know, you can bolt on as many 
individual listings as you want, but it's more for small boutique hotels and larger, you know, larger assets. Cool. Yeah, we did use Guesty though. We moved off Guesty about a year and a half ago, but my overall experience with Guesty was great. Nice. Yeah, their comp structure was a little higher, where Cloudbeds is more of a flat fee. Mm-hmm. So, so that really kind of, um, you know, helped us drop some some more to the bottom line. But yep. um, talk a little bit about you know your approach and intention behind building your social media and how this is really tied into creating more opportunities for your personal Airbnb business, as well as how now it is birthed into um, B&B Investor Academy and all of the people that are coming to you to, you know, scale their own investing businesses. Yeah, honestly, I didn't, I really don't like posting on social media even to this day as much. But um, I got I learned so much on YouTube, more or less before the short form content really kind of exploded with TikTok and reels and shorts. But I learned a lot from people like Graham Stephan and what I liked about Graham and, and some of these other people on YouTube is they started to be open about how they monetized. That's what drew me in. I was like, that is so cool. Like they're being open. They make this much from ads. They make this much from affiliate marketing. They have now businesses. And the, the biggest opportunity in today's economy is the creator economy. Um, short-term rentals are great for building cash flow, scaling wealth. But the amount of money that an individual can make, can make and compete with what used to take big businesses to generate um, is is insane. It's like sickening, actually, uh, of the amount of the. You have to be able to not just build a personal brand, but how can you build a business or businesses that are backed by your personal brand um, that are that are good businesses? They provide value, but the biggest thing for me was providing value first um, without expecting much in return. So I never, ex- not that I never expected, I didn't expect to make. I didn't even know how to make money on social media when I first started. I was like, let me just share with what I'm learning, right? Through short term rentals, here's what I'm learning. And I think what resonated with people was when I talked about here's monthly breakdowns of how much money I'm making. Here's the revenue. Here's the expenses. Here's the mortgage. Here's the cash flow. And people were blown away because most people online didn't show that. They just said, "Oh, I make a bunch of money on Airbnb. Follow my page. Thumbs up to learn more." You know, it's like, no, here's here's some transparency. Here's what you guys know. Here's how much we made made or didn't make this month. And I did that for like a year and a half. Some of those videos got several million views on TikTok. Then it started to bleed over into Instagram. So that's grown. and I was doing free coaching, actually starting out. A lot of people reach out, hey, talk to you. I'm like, sure. I was like, I'm flattered. You want to talk to me? You were stoked. Like, I'd love yeah. to talk to you. I'm stoked. Yeah, of course. So started to do free coaching. A couple people were like, do you have a program I could pay for? I'm like, I could sell a program. And they're like, no, you should. And I was like, okay. I didn't think about it for a while. My wife convinced me after like several months. Did a video course only at first. That was like well beyond my expectations, how well that was received. And started to build a community on the back end for it. And then started to get feedback from people on how successful they were being uh, following this blueprint. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is awesome. It like gave me so much more intrinsic satisfaction than anything I've done before. It's like seeing other people succeed following awesome. the same steps in some of my special sauce, right? With short-term rental that I was doing. Um, so social media grew. That grew. One of my first students for the course ever approached me about starting a property management company, Homes and Vacation Rentals. And at first I was like, nah, nah, I don't, I don't want to do that. And after like a month, he came back and <clears throat> asked me again. I was like, well, maybe I'll consider it. So Started to, I dove in with that with him, and now we're about just shy of a hundred properties, and we launched about eight months ago under Amazing. management. So that's awesome. And really, there is just like there's a lot of bad property managers out there and yep. legacy PMs in the short term rental space or vacation rental space. And I was always such a big proponent of self manage because why use someone else who's going to do a worse job than you and charge you thirty percent? So I finally came to the conclusion of like, well, if we can do a really good job for people, make them 
higher revenue than they could on their own or through other PMs, our fee is essentially free. Like that was our value prop. So that's grown well. And then one of my other clients, his wife was very good at interior design and they scaled to a crazy amount of money on Airbnb. She she started a, a design company for vacation rentals and short-term rentals. So I partnered with them, help on the marketing front and make sure they get great clientele because they do an amazing job. So and then the BNB Academy is just like grown. You know, I've coached around a thousand people at this point in time. Um, and it's, it's growing like crazy. Now I have a bunch of other coaches and employees that that kind of came around came on board and, and worked with me. So it's been a long-winded answer here, but having the personal brand and building the trust within the audience and then learning how to be an entrepreneur, which is very difficult for me, um, and kind of just build businesses on the back end has been very fruitful and very rewarding. But it's been awesome, an awesome ride. What has been your biggest challenge of becoming an entrepreneur? Obviously, you've had massive success. There's, of course, a lot of failing forward moments along every entrepreneur's journey. What have been some of the biggest ones that you've, you know, struggled with and overcome that, you know, other people can learn from? Yeah, I think it was trying to figure out things on my own. I learned very quickly that I'm willing to pay for expertise, consulting, coaches, uh, and I'm willing to pay a lot of money. Like I've invested probably six figures or over six figures uh, in building my business in the past four months alone. But it's I'm going to get like an easy 10x ROI on that. So it's been that's been the biggest learning thing. You know, I could I could learn it on my own, but it's the same thing I tell other people that approach me about coaching for short-term rentals is you could learn it on your own. I did for sure. But it took me two years to like get it super, super dialed in to the point at which we could scale at rapid pace now. So it's no different in any line of business. I think finding a mentor, whether it's free or paid for, um, and paying for consulting, paying to make sure things are done right, you probably don't know things that you don't know, of course, but you don't know like what your business could be at a, a level you never even imagined, which is kind of what opened my eyes after paying for some consulting. I was like, there's people operating at this level. I'm like, this is crazy. I never even thought that was fathomable. So that's been the biggest lesson learned for me. And how has you know betting on yourself changed your life? How has it changed your marriage? How has it changed kind of the future of what you know your uh, your path and your journey looks like? Honestly, for me, it's it's just made me happier every day. Um, sounds super cheesy and easy or cliche, but just having the flexibility and just like total control over my life, just financially and time wise. That is the most life-changing thing I have ever experienced, um, and I'm glad that I took that risk. You know, investing in properties and doing content and trying to build a business, just taking that risk because of what it's turned into. And now with you know a daughter, my wife and I would like to have one or two more kids, maybe three. So let me. Um, but uh, you know, it's just being able to like watch her grow every day. Like, there's nothing more rewarding than that. And for me, I don't want to risk doing something I hate for the next 40 years of my life. And then regret not not taking the the perceived risk of investing or starting that business. Then I want to minimize the amount of regret I have at an older age by taking you know calculated risk when I'm younger. Yeah, so it's just it's, I recommend it to anybody when it comes to investing, building a business, anything like just go for it. Like, yeah, the only thing you're probably going to regret the most is not taking the chance on yourself. I was. Um... Uh, Jeff Hoffman is uh, one of my mentors, and uh, he was one of the he was the original founder of Priceline, and he sold it for multi billions of dollars. And I was having a conversation with him over dinner one time, and you know, asking him kind of 
what his definition of of success looked like and and how you know he felt about his own entrepreneurial journey and kind of betting on himself and and he said you know for for him the money was great but it was more about what he learned about who he was and what he was capable of and ultimately how many lives he impacted along the way that had nothing to do with him but the amount of people that his business and making that bet on himself allowed him to go out and kind of how many lives he touched and that ripple effect. And, you know, I think of a lot of people, Alex Hormozzi actually just made an interesting post the other day that I, I thought was very interesting, which he said, um, uh, Queen Elizabeth, who is, you know, richer than 99.999% of the population, right? Um, people aren't talking about her. And it's only 60, you know, days after her death. And And his point was like, Nobody cares how successful and or, you know, how much you uh, you suck at life, right? Ultimately, you're forgotten in this grand scheme and timeline of, you know, the earth and the world as as we know it. So you might as well go out and bet on yourself and live the most grand life that you can based on what you want to achieve and unlock. So that's one of the reasons why I love entrepreneurship so much is it's, it's people taking that bet on themselves and figuring out, you know, I want to lead my own life and not a life that somebody else has designed for me, which I think, right, more now than ever, people are somewhat awake to that and more, um, you know, encouraged to go and take that leap of faith. But still, right, we I think we need more entrepreneurs and, and short-term rentals and, you know, real estate investing and hospitality in general is one of those great vehicles that can allow you to do it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that mindset, totally. So for people that want to know more about what you got going on, they want to learn from you, they want to follow you on social media, where are some of the best places that they can go ahead and do that? Yeah, just at mElefante6. Um, that's the best place across all social media. Instagram, I'm most the most responsive to in terms of like direct messaging and things like that. Um, and if you guys are interested in uh, the academy and learning how to build and scale short-term rental business, just visit bnbinvestoracademy.com. So as we wrap up, what, what are some of your, you know, we're, we're heading into a, recession, right? We ultimately, some people are saying we're coming out of one, some people are saying we're going into a deeper one. Um, You know, how does that impact your strategy? What moves you're making over the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah, well, I'm still kind of full steam ahead. Um, And the only reason I say that is you got to get be careful how caught up you get into and who you're and also who you're listening to. There's been people predicting the world economy to completely collapse for the past six, 10 years. Eventually, they'll be right. I'm sure they'll predict the next recession. Like, is their timing going to be accurate? No. But everyone's going to say, oh, they predicted it. Like Robert Kiyosaki. I'm a huge rich dad, poor dad type fan. I like Robert a lot. But Robert Kiyosaki is like all the fear mongering is like, he's all doomsday, like every other post. But he's been doing that for years. Invest in gold and silver and He's like, invest in real estate one day and don't invest in real estate the other day because it's all going to collapse. I'm like, dude, you're so confusing. Like, you're not even <laughs> providing good advice at this point. So I don't know. In 2020, everyone said the world was going to end, the economy was going to end. I kind of doubled down. I was just like, everyone says, like, when people are fearful, what is it? I forget the exact saying, but like... Warren Buffett, yeah. What, when people yeah. are fearful, be greedy. When people are greedy, be fearful. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of on that. I said, like, you don't want to do something stupid, of course, but like, during an economic downturn is probably one of the most advantageous times to get started in any type of investing or building a business because your your risk is relatively 
limited, you know? So I think there's going to be tremendous opportunity. And if the economy goes up, then great. As long as you have assets, you know, that's even better for you. And if the economy goes down, then just be prepared to, to take greater advantage of it. In terms yeah. of real estate, like I think it's market to market. I really don't know. It's all going to depend on the Fed and interest rates too, and what the supply looks like. If there's foreclosures, if there's not foreclosures, but I don't know. I, I'm more of a long-term mindset when it comes to any type of investing. Like I don't want to bank on any short-term market fluctuations to capitalize yep. or not. No, I love that. I think baking into your assumptions, your analysis. What I tell people is, you know, in what feels like a bearish, you know, market or a bearish time. Just be a little bit more conservative on your underwriting instead of you know thinking that your prices are going to be here on your average daily rate. Chop that down by ten or fifteen percent. You know, chop your occupancy down a little bit. You know, think of maybe my repairs costs are going to be a little bit higher. Maybe my timeline for getting that project done is going to be a little bit longer. But if you bake in some of these safety nets, you know, and the deals still stand on their own, you know, then and especially like you said, if you're if you're not you know, trying to play the short-term window and timing game of the market, and you're really investing for the long-term, you have a lot more of a moat built around your asset as long as the assumptions and the numbers make sense. So I love that you brought that up because, again, right now, uh, one of my uh, buddies said, you know, uh, the rich aren't impacted by recessions. If anything, they lean in and get richer during recessions. So I think, you know, of course, there's always risks and always things to think about and be aware of, but you got to be, you know, aggressive and take some of those risks uh, to to capitalize on the upside. And I remember when I got into real estate in 2010, I told myself, you know, the last three, four years after that, man, I wish I would have bought more real estate. Thank God I was dumb enough to, you know, buy a bunch of property anyways, but I wish I would have bought three, four or five, 10 times as much as I did. So that's kind of the next uh uh, mindset that I've got for for this season of real estate, which feels like you know there's going to be like you said some opportunities that trickle out, maybe not as many as we saw in you know 2010 after the the financial crisis. But Michael, brother, it's been an honor getting to know you and hear about your business and all the success that you're having. I want to you know congratulate you, man, and your impacting and representing um, big for you know the the short term rental and uh, Airbnb and hospitality and just real estate investing space. And um, we'll be sure to link up all of those resources for you guys to connect with Michael uh, on his social media, on his website at millionermycast.com for his particular episode. Brother, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it, Matt. Cheers. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info, and how you can connect with us live, in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always wanna know, who do you guys wanna hear me interview next? Let me know, shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.